Hi, good morning, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, when Mandy first asked me to, to do the, the sermon in church, I was filled with fear. Um, so my topic is quite apt for this morning, I think. Um, when I was given the passage that, that we just uh, read this morning, um, and I started to prepare, I read it over and over again, and tried to really try and decide what part of the story I should focus on. And it was the last, the last passage that kept jumping out at me. So it's actually got nothing to do with the story. Um, but it goes on, Acts 9.31 um, says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As everyone knows, we've been working our way through the book of Acts and really challenging ourselves as individuals as well as a church to really to become alive for God. And this was so characteristic of the early churches. They were so full of enthusiasm and so full of excitement for the something, the something new that was in their lives. So what was their secret? What was their secret to success? And I really believe that it was the fact that they had this fear for the Lord. Now that we're nearing 2,000 years down the track, and we, we take stock of how we're performing. You know, how do we compare to those early churches? For many years, I was always quite disturbed as, as a Christian and how we were told that we had to fear God. There's so many references in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, about, about fearing the Lord. In fact, the word fear appears at least 300 times when referring to God. And I could never quite marry together this idea of that God is a God of love and kindness and mercy and gentleness. And yet on the, the other side, I'm being told that I need to, to fear him. And, but thankfully, as I've gotten older and my walk with God has gotten longer, I've been able to understand that relationship a little bit better. And so I want to unpack the idea a little bit more this morning. Um, to start off, I want to say that I think that the, the, the concept of the fear of God is a very misunderstood concept, um, particularly because of the fact that there are two types of fear that are, are made reference to in Scripture. Firstly, there's servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear is the, the kind of fear that a prisoner might have um, for their jailer or their executioner. There is this, this real um, fear for their own life. There is a terrified dread. Um, I think that this is perhaps the type of fear that the Hebrew slaves had for um, their masters um, when they were, they were um, held captive uh, in Egypt. And yeah, there's the, this, the servile fear refers to an attitude or a posture of servitude to someone who may punish very, very harshly. The second type of fear is called filial fear, and this comes from the, um, the Latin concept for, for family. So it, it refers to the fear that a child might have for their mother and their father, but um, that's born out of a tremendous respect and a tremendous love that they have um, for their parents, and not, not because the, that they're scared of them. They just want to, to make sure that they please them. So this fear or this anxiety that they have is, is not because they're afraid of punishment. It's because they, um, they're afraid of displeasing their source of love and their source of, of security. So as I said, both of these types of fear are made reference to in the Bible. Um, the stories in the Old and New Testament of servile fear. Um, Old Testament stories are perhaps a little bit more easy to recall. 
Um, if one thinks of when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20:19, the, the Israelites actually say to, to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. The New Testament, there, there are still there are examples, but not as many, I don't think. If we think back to um, last week, and Alan gave us a, um, a teach on uh, one of the chaps, Aeneas, and how he was called to go and um, restore Saul's sight. Um, I've got another story about Aeneas and his wife, Sapphira, but unfortunately the ending is not so great. Because here this couple had given money um, to the church for the sale that they, um, for, for the land that they had sold. And they had lied because they said that they gave the full amount, but they'd actually withheld some um, back for themselves. And scripture goes on to say that Peter says, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Aeneas heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. He has another example of servile fear. And with his wife, Sapphira, she suffered the same consequences just three hours later. So just think of that the next time you all exaggerate on how much you're going to tithe. Okay. <laughs> um, in prophetic scripture, such as Isaiah in the Old Testament and Revelations in the New Testament, servile fear will certainly grip the unrepentant sinner. Isaiah 2.21 says, They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. The original Hebrew word for this type of fear was pashat, and it, it is a terrified dread that, that it speaks about. Revelation 6:15 to 17 really brings this terrified dread to life. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains of the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Ultimately, God will come. He will come and judge the evil, and he will come and judge those who refuse to repent to his loving call. Such people have every reason to dread that day. Hell is a terrifying reality. But that's a whole different sermon all on its own. Right, hang on. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yet for those of us who are in Christ, and those of us who know that they are redeemed, justified, and sanctified from all sin, and that's past, present, and things that we're still going to do in the future, they experience the second type of, of fear, this filial fear. They do not have this terrified dread of divine justice. It's the exact opposite. Here, we want to walk in obedience to the Lord, to serve, to love the Lord. We are all called to have this filial fear. In fact, in Deuteronomy 10:12, which we read a little bit earlier, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul? We're not going to be able to do, some, do that. If we, are, uh, if we are scared of this person. Okay, we, we have a, a love and it's this filial fear that drives us. The Old Testament Hebrew word um, for this type of fear is yira, and it means piety or reverence. And that's why um, sometimes in the mo more modern translations of the Bible, 
um, you have revere the Lord appearing as opposed to fear the Lord. Many passages in the wisdom literatures also, which is your Psalms and Proverbs, things like that, also refers to, to the fear of the Lord. And it's, it says in many of those passages that that is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15:33 says, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. We don't want to disappoint our loving Father. The focus here is very much on a sense of awe and a sense of respect for, for the mighty God. I believe that the early churches knew this. They knew who God was and they had a real sense of what he was able to do. Have we lost, sense, have we lost sight and of the awe of God? Have we lost sight of his hatred for our sin? Have we lost sight of the holiness of God? and that he cannot be where sin is. We live in times where God is respected, but not revered. Where people trust the supernatural, but not the supernatural God of Scripture. The reverence for the Lord is often, sometimes, unfortunately, lacking in contemporary evangelical, do you know how many times I've practiced that? Evangelical Christianity. <laughs> um, and yet, we, we sometimes get quite flippant, flippant and cavalier with God, um, where we almost have a casual friendship with Him. Yes, we are called to, to call Him Abba, Father, and to have an intimate relationship with Him. But that's not outside of adoration and awe. God can be frightening. In fact, in Hebrews, we reminded that it is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As sinful people, we have every reason to fear God's judgment. And if we are all honest with ourselves, I think it is also part of our motivation as to why we should reconcile with him. I think that also in this day, we have lost our awe and respect just by the very way that we choose to live our lives. Our, our children no longer call adults, auntie or uncle or Mr. and Mrs. It's just John and Sue. Um, my own grandmother reminds me, I would never have spoken to my grandmother like that. So I'm just as guilty as the next person. Um, and unfortunately, I think the same thing is happening to our God. I don't know, but also maybe the people in the early church weren't as busy as what we are today. Because no matter how many fascinating details we learn about God's creation, no matter how many wonderful pictures we see of these awesome and mighty gal uh, galaxies, how many beautiful sunsets we are able to watch, and how many times our minds are blown with, when we hear things like a caterpillar has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head. I mean, like, sure, yeah, anyway. We still seem to forget how great our God is. I'm at this point reminded of the old Sunday school song, All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. We need to remind ourselves of who God is and really let that take root in our heart. He deserves more. He is the Holy One. He is, he is set apart and there is no... There, there is no way that we can even begin to fathom all of who he is. I'm going to say that again. We cannot fathom all of who he is. He is just that big. Absolutely no evil can exist with or near him. 
He has nothing to do with sin. No wrong thinking, no evil. Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. To the Jews, saying something three times demonstrates its perfection. So when we say, holy, holy, holy God, we are, we are perfectly setting him apart. There is nothing that can compare to him. Our words, our thesauruses, our dictionaries cannot even begin to contain him. He is that great. I love this, this uh, quote from Francis Chang, and he says, Isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? We cannot exaggerate God. And yet this is still the same God who invites us to call him Abba, Father. God is a God of goodness and grace, greatness. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is fair and he is just. And most of all, he is a loving God who sent his one and only son to die on the cross for all of my sins and for yours. He deserves our reverence and our awe. He deserves to be feared. When it comes to life, we must not forget the greatness of the biblical God. He is the one who is surrounded by millions and millions of angels who are all singing his praises. Revelations 5, 11 to 13, I'm just going to read the first part. It says, Then I look, looked and heard the voices of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Are we getting this right? Our God, the one and only, the Holy One, He utterly transcends us. He holds together all of creation from the smallest molecule to the largest of the galaxies. He has a burning hatred for sin, and yet He has still claimed us through Jesus Christ. The early church had this perspective of God. The early church had this fear of the Lord which gave them of boldness to challenge their enemies in times of persecution and, and hardship. They had a real sense of who God was and what he was able to do. It isn't that there aren't a million other things for us to learn and know about God, because there is, but we've got to start with the fear of the Lord. As it says in the wisdom literatures, that is, that is the beginning of wisdom. In our churches of today, I think that we've seen this move away from understanding this fear of the Lord, um, this old school preaching of hell, you know, the, the hellfires and, and brimstone. At this point, I think of Pollyanna, I don't know if you've ever watched that movie, but there's a, a, one of the preachers in there and he's hammering her away at the pulpit and he's really giving the congregation what for. And I think, yes, we, we've got to, you know, maybe tone that down a bit because he really spoke the fear of God into them. Um, but I think, though, if we skip the fear of God, we, we don't then understand the rest of him. We don't understand the other areas. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For us today, having a fear of God enables us to put his honor first in our lives, above our reputations, above our worldly desires, above our own limitations, and above the fear of other people. Fearing God knows means knowing what he can do for us and giving him the respect and the awe for that. 
It means knowing what he can do and handing it over fully to him without us feeling the need of taking it back and doing it our way. It is about us being still and knowing that he is God. I'm going to close by saying one of my favorite songs is a prayer. Um, but I've used a bit of poetic license, so if we can all please, please pray. Father God, from the highest of highs to the depths of the sea, creation is revealing your majesty. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring, every creature unique in the song that it sings. You have told every lightning bolt where it should go. You have seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow. Father, you imagined the sun and gave source to its light, and yet you conceal it to bring us the coolness of night. None can fathom just how indescribable and uncontainable you are, Lord. You placed the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All-powerful, untamable. Awestruck, we fall to our knees in fear as we humbly proclaim, You are amazing, God. Amen.